So today we have the continuation of the story of the prophet Jonah, which is a very interesting uh, story indeed. Sometimes kind of ridiculed in the Bible because it sounds like a fairy tale. You know, this prophet who goes uh, into Nineveh and tells them to change their ways or the Lord will destroy the city. And they do. But previous to that, when the Lord calls Jonah initially, he does not want to be a prophet. And so he runs away. He tries to flee completely, goes as far as Tarshish, gets onto a boat, a storm, uh, batters the boat, and all the sailors, being somewhat superstitious, all pray to their own gods, the gods of their own understanding, and they see him not praying, and they said, well, why aren't you praying? And he said, well, I'm a Jew, and he said, well, pray to your God that he might save us, and he said, I'm running from him, so they they understand in their own way that uh, he was responsible for this storm and so he he's cast overboard but he's okay with that he's okay with being cast he'd rather he'd rather be cast overboard than have to be a, prof, a prophet so he's okay it's fine kill me great <laughs> lovely so they can't they throw him overboard storm dies down and he's picked up by a whale and this is where as i say most biblical commenter commentators would find the story a bit ridiculous he's picked up by a, a large fish you know who uh, saves him from the storm and spits him out on the shore. Now, is this possible? Yes, this is possible. Is it probable? Probably not. If God wants to work a miracle, though, can he? Of course he can. So that's what it says in Scripture. I'm okay with that. Whatever. We don't, we don't, have, to, we don't have to turn it into a fairy tale just because there's a, there's a story that's a bit... It is a bit... Of course it's a bit far-fetched. <laughs> of course it is. This kind of thing tends not to happen. But can it happen? Well, if the Lord wants it. Okay. So, basically, don't dismiss the whole book just because there's a, a whale who saves a man and spits him out onto a shore. Okay. So, but the idea here, prophecy and prophesying to people who do or do not want to uh, convert is a very interesting uh, theme. Jonah does not want to be a prophet. Why does he not want to be a prophet? Again, maybe we have this kind of uh, glorified or romantic view of what a prophet might be, that it might involve glory, that it might involve some sort of power, that you get to kind of speak on behalf of the Lord. The problem was Jews knew what happened to the prophets in their own history. They knew what the, 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 the fate of a prophet was. So say, for example, you go as a prophet to a city and you say, God told me that if you don't change your ways, God will punish you. Okay? Fairly straightforward message. Repent or be punished. Now, if the city repents, if the city does change their ways, so then they, they, they stop sinning, they come back to authentic worship, so now the disaster does not come on them, what are the people going to say? How do we know the disaster was going to come? You know, we changed because of you, but now nothing has happened. So how do we know that... What you're, telling, what you're saying is true. Maybe we should have just continued to have fun as we were before. Why did we change at all? You know, if, if nothing happens, if nothing bad happens, then why not just keep sinning? It's more fun. You know? But then if, if, something do, if, the, if, if people do not convert and then the city is punished, why didn't you tell us? I did tell you, but you could have told us a little more forcefully. You could have tried to convince us a little more. It's your fault. You're, you failed as a messenger to convince us. We continued sinning. This, whatever it is, invasion or famine or whatever it is has now happened to us, it's your fault. If you're a prophet, you 
can't win. You can't win. And Jonah knew that. So the Lord says, come, go to Nineveh. And Jonah says, Nineveh, that way, great. I'm out of here. <laughs> Literally. So what does he do? He goes to Nineveh. As, after running the other direction, gets spat up on the shore by a large fish, a whale, or a dolphin, who knows what. Uh, uh, gets spat up onto the shore, goes to Nineveh, massive city. They said three days to cross it. It's also possible it was three days to go around it, judging by archaeological studies. They say it's about three days to go about, so about 100 kilometers. You can walk about 20 miles a day, which is about 60 miles for three days, so about 100 kilometers to walk around it. So quite a big city in uh, Assyria. Assyria, not Syria, Assyria, capital of Assyria. So this massive city of, of Nineveh, and Jonah goes in, proclaims that the Lord will destroy the city in 40 days unless they repent, and they do. These are not Jews. This is not a Jewish city. This is not a Jewish country. These are effectively what Jews would have called pagans. But this city converts. From the king down to the animals, all of them repent. Only 40 days more, Nineveh is going to be destroyed. And the people of Nineveh believed in God. They proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least. The news reached the king of Nineveh, who rose from his throne, took off his robe, put on sackcloth, and sat down in ashes. A promulgation was then promulgated, as you do with proclamations, uh, through Nineveh by decree of the king and his ministers that follows. Men and beasts, herds and flocks are to taste nothing. They must not eat, they must not drink water. All are to put on sackcloth and call on God with all their might and let everyone renounce his evil behavior and the wicked things he has done. Who knows if God will not change his mind and relent if he will not renounce his burning wrath so that we do not perish. Not Jews. These people are not Jews. But they're obviously faithful in, in their own way or they have some belief in God. But they do change, is the point. From the king the whole way down to, to, to the animals. All change. And Jonah's reaction is absolute annoyance. We'll hear it tomorrow. Jonah was indignant. He fell into a rage. <laughs> I'd love to meet him. I suppose with the help of God, I will. <laughs> but um, he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord, is not just this what I said would happen while I was still at home. That's why I fled to Tarshish. I knew you were a God of tenderness and compassion. You let them off. You were a God of tenderness and compassion, slow to anger, rich in graciousness, relenting in evil. So, Lord, take my life. Kill me. I might as well be dead. This is tomorrow's reading. We'll be hearing it tomorrow. I hope someone reads it like I just read it there. <laughs> uh, tomorrow's reading. Jonah falls into a rage. He's annoyed at God because God is merciful. These people were sinning, right? Okay, they changed, but like there was a whole lifetime of sin before that, and you just let them off. And now they're going to think that I came in to preach this punishment that's going to come because of your sin, which never happened, and I'm going to get the blame. Life isn't worth living. Kill me now. Do you want to throw me overboard? Throw me overboard. I'd rather die. This is the second time this has happened. So he, I'm not saying he throws in the towel easily. Like it's, this is not going to be nice. You know, this isn't, this isn't a, oh, let's just, let's just be a little prophet and skip into the city. I mean, it doesn't work that way. Like, you know, stonings did happen. Decapitations happened. Lifelong in prison. Like, and there's no human rights uh, established at this point. Like, you know, people could just kill you if they didn't like you. So, not so easy. Jonah is annoyed 
that God is merciful. Jonah is indignant because God's mercy is not human mercy. It doesn't, they don't work the same way. God's mercy and, and human mercy are different. So in God's mind, if he forgives you, if you look for forgiveness and you authentically say, you, from the heart, say, Lord, I am sorry. Now, this is especially in the context of, of confession, in the context of confession, then we are absolutely sure, sure, that any and every mortal sin that's confessed is absolved. It's gone. Uh, if people who, are, who aren't Catholic or Christian confess in their own way, the, the sacraments give us what we call surety. So we know that absolution works and that does forgive sins. But if a person who isn't Catholic or isn't Christian confesses in their own way, we entrust them to the mercy of God. God wants their forgiveness. God, sorry, God wants their salvation. He wants them to be forgiven. So we leave that up to him. But it is possible, yes, to be saved outside of the Catholic Church. It is. This reminded me of a story, a true story, of the, the commandant of uh, Auschwitz camp during the Second World War, a man by the name of Rudolf Huss. If you've ever been to Auschwitz, Auschwitz, even to this day, so what are we now, 60, 70, 80 years later, Auschwitz still has... Uh, a feeling of death. I was there in the end of the 90s and it was a glorious day. It must have been 28, 29 degrees, beautiful blue skies. But as soon as you walked in the gates of Auschwitz, it felt like death. There's just this, it's like, a, I don't know, it's hard to describe. There's a, there's a heaviness in the air. You know, everyone outside is eating ice cream and kicking ball around at the park. Then you walk in and everyone just kind of, just a kind of a, there's something very, very serious, very somber, very, um, yeah, it's like, it's like you've entered into another realm altogether. And so you're getting uh, the tour, then the tour guides, you see all the, 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 the famous entryway with the, there's an expression over the top, Arbeit macht frei, uh, work makes you free, you know, this kind of irony of sending people out into the work camps or from the work camp maybe to dig drains outside or whatever it was. They, they would never be free, but this was just the irony of, of, of that slogan. And then there were just rows and rows and rows and rows of buildings, most of which have, were burnt down by the SS when they pulled out, when they, they abandoned the camp at the end of the war, when, when they were overcome. So most of it has been burnt down. Uh, but some of it still remains. And you walk in there, and this would, would have been full of prisoners, full of emaciated, beaten, hopeless prisoners. It, it, it just must have, been, must have been just an absolutely hellish place to be. And, and that, it's like that has permeated the very rocks and timber that remain. And the commander of that was Rudolf Huss. At the end of the Second World War, he was captured, so he didn't flee and didn't commit suicide, but was, was captured by the English. And there were the Nuremberg trials uh, held where in, at which he was condemned to death by hanging. Now, Rudolf was a Catholic, um, had somewhat abandoned the faith, obviously, during his life. 
But at the end, at the end of his life, he recognized what he had done. And four days before he was executed, he wrote, My conscience compels me to make the following declaration in the solitude of my prison cell. I have come to the bitter recognition that I have sinned gravely against humanity. As commandant of Auschwitz, I was responsible for carrying out part of the cruel plans of the Third Reich for human destruction. In so doing, I have inflicted terrible wounds on humanity. I caused unspeakable suffering for the Polish people in particular. I am to pay for this with my life. May the Lord forgive May the Lord God forgive one day what I have done. I ask the Polish people for forgiveness. In Polish prisons, I experienced for the first time what human kindness is. Despite all that happened, I experienced humane treatment. That's after he was taken prisoner. I experienced humane treatment, which I could never have expected, and which has deeply shamed me. May the facts which are now coming about about the horrible crimes against humanity make the repetition of such cruel acts impossible for all time. So he returned to the church and he confessed. He went to confession to who? A Jesuit priest by the name of Vladislav Lohn, provincial of the Polish province of the Jesuits, the Society of Jesus. He went to a Polish priest for confession after what he had done to the Polish people in Auschwitz. He goes to a Polish. And imagine if you were that priest and he confesses, I killed hundreds of thousands. I'm not sure actually what the, what the toll was in the end. Was it, did, it, was it, did, it, did it reach a million? I'm not sure. Uh, three. Three million. Okay. Three million people, a lot of them Polish, a lot of them Catholics, a lot of priests, Maximilian Kolbe, Edith Stein. Uh, just, I mean, if you've ever been, like, people were, were harvested, their gold teeth were taken out and, and reused, their hair was reused, uh, their clothes, there are heaps of children's shoes. You know, the, all this on your mind. You're the Polish priest now, and this guy says, after doing all of that, I'm sorry. And you're supposed to say you're forgiven. Can you feel the spirit of Jonah kind of boil up inside you? You shouldn't be forgiven. You don't deserve to be forgiven. And the priest raised his hand, maybe a little trembling, maybe a little slowly, and maybe through gritted teeth, or maybe he just recognized this is divine mercy. This is not human mercy. This is divine mercy. God, the Father of mercies, through the death and resurrection of his Son, has reconciled the world to himself. And I absolve you from all of your sins. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, your sins are forgiven. Go in peace. This is not human justice, but this is divine mercy. Even a Rudolf Huss brings his 
unspeakable atrocities, unspeakable sins, the, the, the consequences of which we're still feeling today. I mean, there are families still hurt. There are people who don't exist anymore and, and bloodlines and, and, and descendants that never came about because of his actions. But he says before God, I'm sorry. And he is forgiven. This is the Lord's mercy. And you might think that's unfair. And is it fair that when I go back, is it fair that when I go to confession that I'm forgiven? Even though it's the same thing I confessed last week and I still haven't changed it? Is it fair that I'm struggling with the same sin for who knows how long and it's still not gone and I'm still confessing it and he's still absolving me? He's still forgiving me? Is this, is this justice? Not by human reckoning, but this is divine mercy. This is divine mercy. We, you and I, are the beneficiaries of that. You and I live from that. So it may seem unjust that the Lord forgives, but were it not for that, none of us would stand the chance. We ask the Lord today for a greater spirit, not so much of, of comparison or a spirit of jealousy maybe or a spirit of rebellion, but we ask for the spirit of gratitude. Because if the Lord will forgive such great sin from Nineveh, from Rudolf Huss, then he also forgives mine. And just as he wants their salvation, he wants mine. Just as he was willing to go to great efforts to send a prophet to them in Nineveh, he sends people into my life too to call me back onto the right track. Let us humbly listen to them. Let us turn back to the Lord. And let us live daily from his divine mercy. Amen.